Welcome to the Second Students North podcast. My name is Dylan, and this week, Jay Gray closes out our series, I Live for This. He talks to us about some true stories of people who have been persecuted for their faith and what we can learn from the way that they live their lives boldly and how our lives should be changed from their testimony. Our prayer is that God would speak to you through this message. We hope you enjoy the final week of I Live for This. But I want to pull back to where we, where we started with this whole series. We talked about the first week that approximately 90,000 Christians died for their faith in 2018. 90,000 people, just like you, if you're a follower of Jesus, who died for their faith, were killed for their faith. Not just like, you know, I'm 117 years old and I just passed away and I was a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. They were killed in some form or fashion because of what they believed as Christians. And I told you guys a, a little portion of a book. There's a great book called Jesus Freaks. If you want to look at it, there's another book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. We've been talking about these stories of people who were killed for their faith. But this book called Jesus Freaks, there's a section in it I want to read to you. It says this, it says, These are the stories of those who would not compromise or apologize for their faith in Jesus Christ, even if it meant going to prison, being tortured, or facing death. These are the people who are changing our world by refusing to lay aside their relationship with Jesus for the mere sake of being accepted by the crowd. And there's a little portion of the book that says, This book is dedicated to those who refuse to deny Jesus your faith is not in vain. And so for these last couple of weeks, we've tried to look at their stories so that their faith in our lives wouldn't be in vain. We look at their stories and be challenged by the way that they live. That was the goal of this series, and that's our goal tonight as we conclude. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at three verses of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, everybody say crowd, Everybody say crowd. crowd. Look at the person next to you and say crowd. crowd. Good, we're getting better at this. All right, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the, ra- the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So I want to ask you a question. He says, since we're surrounded by this crowd of witnesses, another translation calls it a cloud. Since we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, what does that mean? What does that mean? I want you to know what it means. It's it's talking about what he has just written about. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 has written about all of these people who lived their life in faith. It's called, a lot of people call Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, the hall of faith. And it says, by faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. And it continues to go through, by faith, the city of Jericho, the walls fell down. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It talks about all of these people. It talks about guys like Joseph, 
talks about Noah, talks about all of these people, and it says they lived by faith, and by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And he says, in this, he says, since we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, this crowd of witnesses, what he's talking about is all these people that have gone before us are the cloud of witnesses around us. So I want you to think of it this way, because he talks about a race. I want you to think of it like this. Imagine you're running a race, and you're all by yourself. Nobody else is there. You're just running a race. You'd say, well, that, that's, I'm not racing anybody, right? <coughs> but he says this. He says, you're not by yourself. He says, there's this crowd of people that are cheering you on. Now, imagine you're running a race, and it's a difficult race. It's a hard race. It's the hardest race you've ever run in your entire life, and you got all these people. The stands are packed with people that are cheering you on to the finish line, saying, you can do this. You've got this. Don't give up. You're going to make it. You're going to get there. You can win this race. This is the picture of what he's talking about. He says, we're surrounded by this crowd of people, this cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on to this life of faith that are saying, you can do this. You can do this. You can live a life of faith. I know it's hard. I know this journey is hard. I know you got people against you that are pushing against you, but you can do this. We've been where you are. We, are, we have gone before you, and we are cheering you on, saying you can make it to the finish line. Come on. Come on. You can do it. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't stop. You can do it. Press on and live this life of faith. This is the picture of what he's talking about. And some of the people that would be a part of that cloud of witnesses for you today, you can look in Hebrews chapter 11, but we've been trying to show you some of that cloud of witnesses. We talked a couple weeks ago, Daniel talked about Runkin, the girl who, who, had, who had a Bible and was told, and, somebody, and his, her owner said, no, she doesn't read it. She said, oh, I do, and it's the most precious thing to me in the world. And then she was told if she would deny Jesus that she would be spared, but instead they built her, they, they closed her into a wall brick by brick by brick and said, hey, you got another chance. You got another chance. They kept telling her, they said, you're beautiful and you have another chance. You don't have to do this. And she kept saying, I'm not going to deny my faith. I'm not going to turn against my Lord Jesus. And eventually they put the final brick in and she was suffocated to death in a wall. We told this story about, uh, Randy told the story about Knox saying a couple, a couple weeks ago, who came to faith in India, this tribal village, and the, and the chief said, if you don't deny your faith, then we're going to kill your children. And he killed his children. He said, I, I refuse to deny my faith. And we talked about the song that came from that, I've decided to follow Jesus, that came from this man's story of, I've decided to follow Jesus. And he said, we're going to kill your wife. And he said, no turning back. Though none go with me, I'm going to follow. There's no turning back. And then eventually he was killed, and many people in that village came to know Jesus because of his testimony, including the chief of that village. We talked about Hanali, who had a husband and two kids killed by the Taliban. We talked about Haewoo, who was being tortured and beaten in North Korea in a prison and started a Bible study that still, even if she had been found out, she would have been mercilessly killed, but she still did it. We talked about an Asian teen who, when adults were spitting on the Bible to save their life, picked up the Bible and wiped it off and said, God, I'm so sorry for these that would treat your word this way. And she was shot and killed in that moment because she refused to spit on the Bible. A teenager, just like you guys, who said, this Bible is too valuable. I'm not even willing to spit on it. Even if I can pretend like I don't mean it, I refuse to deny Jesus. We talked about Juliet, and you saw her picture, who is orphaned, 
by Fulani soldiers that were attacking her family because they were Christians. We talked about Abednego, Solomon, who's this young boy who was slashed and cut because his family and he claimed the name of Jesus. We talked about some of the disciples of Jesus who followed him and they died for their faith. Now, a lot of people have said that, that people, you know, people die for their faith all the time. I want you to remember something that you can, I hope you never, ever forget. I hope you don't forget this. And I've talked about it before, but I hope you don't forget this. There are a lot of people who are willing to die for their faith, but people don't die for a lie. Especially not all of them, right? So Jesus' followers, some people say, he didn't really raise from the dead, or they were faking it, and stuff like that. Here's what happens. If you're faking it, eventually, when they say, we're going to crucify you, you're going to say, you know what, guys? Game's over. I, I'm just kidding. And eventually one of the 12 people would say, you know what, I'm not willing to be dropped into that boiling pot of oil for what I know is a lie. But the reason we know it's true is because these guys knew that it was absolutely true, so much so that they said, you know what, you can kill us, but we can't deny what we know to be true. There are people who die all the time for their faith because of something they believe is true. But people don't die for what they know is a lie. And this is the picture. Jesus' disciples, Peter was crucified upside down. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I don't want to be crucified the same way as Jesus was. I don't deserve to be, to be killed the same way as my Savior. Andrew, who took the gospel to Russia, Greece, Turkey, was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Thomas took the gospel to Syria and to India. He was speared by four soldiers. Matthew went to remote Africa, was impaled under the ground, and then was beheaded. For their faith, this is why it happened. Nathaniel, who's also known as Bartholomew, in Scripture went to Asia Minor. He was whipped until he was torn to death. They kept whipping him and whipping him until eventually he was torn to death. Philip went to northern Africa and Asia, Asia Minor, was impaled with hooks through his ankles, hung upside down, and tortured to death because he had shared Jesus with one of the, one of the prefects of Rome with, with, his, with his wife, and so he was tortured to death. This is the picture of what happened. James was beheaded in Judea. John, who's the one uh, original disciple of Jesus who wasn't killed other than Judas who gave up Jesus and then killed himself, John was the only one who, was, who died by natural causes, and he was exiled on an island because history tells us, again, these are just pictures of the Bible. This is what historians have told us. People that were writing at these times were telling us these things. This is the picture. It says that he was actually dropped into a boiling pot of oil. He didn't die, and they're like, well, we don't know how we're going to kill him, so let's just put him on an island. And that's how he died, exiled on an island. In A.D. 64, a man named Nero basically set the town of Rome on fire and then blamed the Christians. That's kind of what, what they say is that in some form or fashion, he was a part of what happened, and he uses an opportunity to blame the Christians. And then what he would do is he'd begin, in sport, he would begin lighting Christians when, when, the, when the sun would go down. He would take Christians, light them on fire, and hang them up to be lanterns in the city and especially in his gardens because they were Christians. Domitian, in AD 90, may have been worse than Nero, we're not sure. There's some people that say he was, some people that say no way, not even close. 
But he had statues that he would send all over the area, and they'd have to bow to the statue, and the Christians that refused would be killed. They would line people up, and they would come through, and they would have to bow. And this was what would happen in Rome. They would come through, and they would have to say the phrase. We get the phrase, Jesus is Lord. There's a common phrase because of this time, because what people would say is, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And the followers of Jesus said, I refuse to declare Caesar is Lord because Jesus is my Lord. He's my master, not Caesar. And so they would come, and they were waiting to hear, Caesar is Lord. And if they heard anything other than that, that, they would kill him. And so these Christians would come, and they would say, Jesus is Lord, and they would kill him. Then the next one would come and say, Jesus is Lord, and they would kill him over and over and over again because they declared Jesus is Lord. This is our cloud of witnesses that comes before us. This is our cloud that goes with us that is currently living today, and you're going to see another story in just a moment of some people who are living today that's our cloud of witnesses that surround us. But I want to unpack this scripture one little segment at a time, and we're going to watch a video. We'll be done. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses, we talked about what that looks like to be surrounded. We have all these people cheering us on saying, you can do it. Students, I want you to know tonight, you can do it. This life of faith that I'm talking about, that we're talking about, that we talk about week in and week out, day in and day out, that all of us strive to live because all of us don't get it right. I'm not pointing outside. I'm saying for all of us. I want you to know you can live this life of faith. We can live this life of faith. This isn't something that you think about and be like, man, that's a fairy tale story and that will never be my story. There are people crying out ahead of you saying, you can do this. This life of faith we're talking about, it's not just for them. Not just for them back then. It's not just for them in other parts of the world. It's for you right now, living a life of faith. If you claim the name of Jesus, this life is for you. It's not just for somebody else. And they're saying, you can do this. Don't give up. We know it's hard. We know there's obstacles. We know there's a lot in your way. You got enemies against you, but you can do this. You will make it. You have this cloud of witnesses, this crowd of witnesses around you to the life of faith. I want to ask you a question, and this is a question that came into my, my heart and my mind a little bit today as I was studying. If you looked at your life, look at me, students. If you looked at your life on a daily basis, can you live every day of your life without faith? Because I feel like, truthfully, for most of us, most days of our lives, we could legitimately live, wake up, live that entire day without faith, and go to sleep, and not a whole lot would have changed in our day from the way we live now. And here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that every single day is going to be the craziest day of your life, living in faith. But maybe there's a challenge that, maybe there's some things we can do to start living a life of faith that we're encouraged to live, that we're challenged to live, that people are calling us on and pleading with us to live. Maybe part of that is praying for our brothers and sisters all over the world who are literally dying for their faith 
teenagers just like you who are living for their faith and dying for their faith. Our Chinese friends, I told you a story of our Chinese friends, one of the churches in that city, some of the, the teenagers in the city of where our students come from, and we don't know if it's any of them, I have no idea if it is or if it isn't, but there are teenagers who are being arrested because they went to church, living in a very difficult place that are just like our friends in the same city. It'd be like in Kingwood, Texas, some of your friends getting arrested because they went to church. These people that come and spent the summer with us and a couple weeks in the summer and you got to spend time with them. Let's start praying for some of those people and let's start praying that God would give us opportunities to live out our faith. Maybe in a different way. Then it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I want to ask you a question. What is it that would slow you down to running this life of faith? What are the things in your life that you would look at and you say, you know what, one of the most difficult things for me to really like kind of go all out, for me to really live this life of faith where I'm willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I'm willing to have conversations with people that I haven't been willing to have. You know, I'm, I'm willing to start talking to some people because I've always kind of been afraid, well, maybe I'll be too pushy, maybe they'll think differently of me, and I don't want to be too pushy even though I might never see them again after this. I don't want to be too pushy, so I'm going to hold back a little bit. You know what? I want to start living a little bit different. I want to start saying, God, will you give me opportunities? And God, I'm going to step through the doors. And God, I'm just going to step out in faith because I know that you are the most important thing. And this person doesn't know you. And without you, they don't have any hope of heaven. They have nothing but a, a destination to spend an eternity separated from you in hell. And I don't want it to be because I was silent that I look back on my life and say, I didn't tell them the most important thing they could ever hear in their entire life. I never took an opportunity to just step that direction, to move that direction. I kind of waited and I never had that opportunity, so I'm going to start living a little bit differently. What if we started living a little differently and started saying, what is it that's going to hold you back? Maybe for some of you, it's just you're too worried about what other people are thinking. I talked to some of our, stu our students at Kingwood High School a couple weeks ago that one of our problems is that we don't see people because we're not worried about seeing people for who they are. We're only worried about other people and how they see us. And so it's really difficult to walk through the halls of your school or to sit in a classroom and think, you know what, God, what would it take for me to share you with this person? It's really difficult to begin to think that way when all I'm worried about is what is this person actually thinking of me? And the challenge was to see people in a different way. Maybe there's sin in your life that's constantly holding you back and constantly holding you down. Then you say, I'm going to take all that off. I'm going to strip all that away and, and lay down all that weight. Because if I'm running a race, what I don't want is a whole lot of stuff hanging on to me. If you go out to a cold track meet, all the people, they've got their track suits on and all that kind of stuff. But before they go out and race, what do they do? They take that stuff off. And try to get about as little as they can. Sometimes where it's almost uncomfortable, right? Because they're trying to get rid of anything that might slow them down. So what's slowing you down? And what is it going to take for you to start letting some of that stuff go? So you can live this life of faith we're talking about. Strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I want to point out real quick that it's not just sinful things. Maybe there's some things in your life that aren't sinful, that aren't bad, that are actually okay. 
that for you, as you look at this life of faith, you're going to have to say, you know what, this has been a good thing in my life, but truthfully, it's getting in the way of me living all out for Jesus, living this life of faith, and so I'm going to lay down what might even be okay, and I'm going to give it up for the sole purpose of following Jesus with everything I am. So don't just think of sin. I want you to think of anything that could get in the way of you living that way. And he says, let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. This isn't just, hey, let's start doing this and let's see how it goes the next two days and then three days later we're going to be done because the weekend hit and we're kind of back to normal again. Let's run with endurance this race of faith that God has set before you and set before me. And he says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I told this story a couple years ago, but when I, was, when I was taught to mow the lawn, how many of you guys mow the lawn at your house? That's your job? Guess what? Spring's coming, so it's almost time to start again. Sorry, guys. Uh, but if you mow the lawn, one of the things my dad taught me is that if you look at the lawnmower and try to stay on the line, you know you're trying to, supposed to stay on the line? So I would look at the lawnmower, and he'd go, watch what happens. And so I would do it, and I would look back, and the line would be like this. I mean, like it was not straight at all. He goes, now watch this. And he created a straight line, and he said, now what I want you to do is I want you to look at the end where you're trying to go. Don't look down ever. Only look at where you're trying to go. And so what I did was I started looking at where I was trying to go. I wasn't looking down here. I was looking up here. And when I got to the end, I was like, that's a straight line. How's that even possible? Because it seems like I should be able to watch every moment and make sure I'm staying on the line. He said, he said, no, you've got to look at where you're going and you'll get there in a straight line. It's this same picture. That when we keep our eyes on Jesus, who's at the finish line waiting for you, so that when you get to the end, whether your end is in one day, one year, one decade, 100 years, whatever your end point is, he's waiting to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We keep our eyes on him who started our faith, who perfected our faith. We keep our eyes on him, and here's what happens. We begin to run with endurance, that race marked out for us. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And by the way, your Savior, the one that you're choosing to follow, if you claim the name of Jesus, you say, I'm a Christ follower, he set the example for you, was willing to go all the way to death for you. So says, now he's seated at the right hand in the place of honor besides God's throne. And then think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is the picture of what happened. That Jesus went all the way to death for you. 